Good morning. My name's Mel. Would you join me in reading from God's Word? We're reading from Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, thanks, Mel, and good morning, everyone. It is great to see you all here this morning, and I think we've just come in under our COVID safe number this morning, but um, it's great to have you with us. If we haven't met, my name's Matt, and let me add my welcome to Tom's. And we consider it a great blessing that wherever you're from, that you've chosen to spend some of your Easter Sunday with us. Much has been said and written about the way that we're choosing to rebuild lives this year after the year that was 2020. With so much stripped away for a time, we're asking ourselves, what's important to me? What do I want to discard from life? What do I want to pursue? What's at the heart of a life that really matters? Not only are we doing this as individuals, households and businesses, but church communities like ours are also doing it too. I recently had the great uh, privilege and opportunity to spend a week with a group of Christian leaders from across Australia. I was really encouraged to be part of discussions on how together we can refocus and reset our lives for the task to reach more and more people across our country with the great news of Jesus. And among all the conversation, the leadership development we were there for, the strategizing, it was really the Bible studies that really gripped me as we considered first as pastors the heart change necessary in ourselves, but also how we'd love to see our people grow in the communities that we ministered to. If together as God's church here on earth, we're to push forward with great passion to take our place amongst the generations that make our time in this world really count. It was the Bible study on this passage, Revelation 4 and 5, that I think will be my enduring memory uh, of the week and I thought it's a great thing actually to think through as we approach, uh, well, as we're at now, Easter Sunday. (laughs) Because as we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, this great hinge on which our world's history shifts. Our task today is not simply to look back in wonder at those events, but also to think through how we live our lives as Christians in light of the resurrection of Jesus. How does it change the lens which we look through our world? Easter is a great time to do that. I reckon it kind of falls in the year, kind of the first chance we have to take a breath as uh, we've got into the year in the busyness of life. And if you're here today just checking out who Jesus is, I hope it gives you a great insight into how Christians live with great passion. 
So I'll share a few uh, of the insights of uh, the group that met around this Bible study and a few of my own as we get into this quite amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, You might be relieved to know that we're not going to work our way through this passage, chapter and verse, but rather just unpack the significance, really, of chapter 5, verse 9, where we see that there's a new song being sung in heaven. Tom gave us a heads up before that uh, reading Revelation, particularly if this is your first experience of church in a while, is a little trippy for us and it's not uh, perhaps a classic Easter Sunday reading. Revelation does lean heavily on imagery, creating emotions and impressions as we consider things beyond our grasp. As part of the vision given to John, one of Jesus' closest friends, by an angel which he was to write down and to share with the world. It gives us insight into the spiritual realm and also God's unfolding plans for our world and where it's all headed. As chapter 4 begins, John is beckoned to look into what is going on in heaven and what must take place. John finds himself looking at God upon his throne and And the kind of imagery used that overloads the senses with the appearance of fine jewels, rainbows, other thrones, lightning, thunder, blazing lamps, seas as clear as glass. We did a whole series on Revelation if you'd like to dig a little deeper into it. But the overwhelming picture is clear enough and it's one of worship and praise of God. And we read at the end of chapter 4 that the content of this heavenly praise is to focus on God's creative power, where we read, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And we're reminded with great wonder of the opening of the Bible's story of God creating the world out of nothing by the power of his word and declaring it good, as the way the universe works was put into place, the sun, the moon and our world's seasons, with humanity taking a special place in creation under God. I love science and nature documentaries, seeing how our world works. I'm quite captivated by the creativity humanity has been given as we work towards placing a foot on Mars, for example. And if you're here checking out who Jesus is today for Christians, we see the world in all of its fascinating and intricate detail pointing back to to the immense power of our creator God with an extraordinary eye for creativity and beauty. And what Revelation adds to our understanding is that all of heaven stands in awe and praises God for bringing it into being. As we hit chapter 5, a problem is introduced. A scroll sits in God's right hand and both sides are written and it's sealed up. And the question is asked, who is worthy to break open this scroll? And from the context of Revelation and what we understand the first readers would have understood, it's generally thought that this scroll represents the unfolding plans of God for his world as he works towards this beautiful future of a new heaven's and a new earth unspoiled by the effects of our sin. Someone special is needed. Someone who knows the mind of God, someone with the power not only to look at the scroll, but also to be the one who brings about God's plan of salvation to a world that has rebelled against God's rule. 
If there's no one sufficient for the task, the plan cannot come to be. As the call goes out, no one, verse 3, in heaven or on earth is up to the task of opening and executing God's plans. So as this call goes out for someone worthy enough to step forward, and as silence is the only response, John weeps bitterly. Because if the plan can't move forward, the sin and brokenness of our world, the forces of evil that spoil and mar our existence, the suffering and death that face the people of God would endure. Then, one of the elders said to John, verse 5, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus, the lamb who was slain, steps forward to take the scroll. And as he does so, verse 9, a new song breaks out in heaven. As this new song breaks out, John's vision expands from the living creatures and the elders around the throne, almost like this kind of concentric circles of praise radiating out as we now see thousands of angels joining in this praise, then expanding out again to every creature in heaven on earth, joining this song of praise. So, what's the significance of this new song in heaven? Well, it's much more than a new playlist becoming available. One of my first jobs as Woolies was as night field manager, many long nights in the store uh, ordering wheat bix by myself, and you couldn't turn off the music, and the playlist was the same for years. <laughs> I still get a nervous twitch when I hear Lady in Red when I'm walking through Woolies. <laughs> it was a hit in 1986, it's time to move on, guys. <laughs> but I don't think boredom was the issue in heaven. God had been rightly praised for his creative power, but as Jesus steps forward, there was a permanent shift, a permanent shift in the focus of heaven's praise, and all creation joins in with the elders and the angels taking up this new song, verse 9, chapter 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is worthy of this praise because he was slain on that very first Good Friday. Jesus was up to the task of executing God's plan to purchase people like you and me for God for eternity. Now, the fact Jesus needed to head to his death upon the cross to make this purchase tells us something about the depth of the problem. In the grand sweep of the biblical storyline, we're told after the creation of a perfect world that was nothing but good, we as humanity ruined everything as we said and continue to say no to God's loving rule over our lives and take the crown of kingship off God's head and place it on our own in an act of rebellion. Breaking our relationship with God in a way that brings with it devastating consequences. Brokenness. Death. Creating a problem too big for us to solve by any plan that we here could devise. Only Jesus is sufficient to execute God's great rescue plan and there is no other way. And it's immensely costly. 
As we talked about this in the Bible study, I was reminded of a book I read years ago about finding life again through a costly sacrifice. It was a biography uh, that my sister-in-law gave me from a guy named Aaron Ralston. I'll pop his photo uh, up on screen. He was canyoning solo in America when his hand became pinned between a rock and a canyon wall and he couldn't free it. I'll save you the gruesome photos and give you the nice newspaper shot. (laughs) No help was available and every plan he had to move the rock failed. And after five days trapped there, he knew he'd die if he stayed any longer. So he took out his pocket knife, cut off his hand and escaped with his life. News coverage of the world went, sorry, of the story went worldwide. There's a book, they made a telemovie about it. Now imagine, as, if, as this news kind of went worldwide while Aaron was in hospital, if a local climbing expert from the area was interviewed. And he said, oh, I know that canyon, I know that very rock. It's unusual in how it rests between the canyon walls and it has a pivot point. If you just kind of press it, In a a certain way, very gently, it pivots away and he could have freed his hand easily and continued on. Now, if you were Aaron lying in hospital after that trauma, less a hand, and you heard that news, you'd be devastated that you'd paid a costly sacrifice for nothing if there was a much easier way. Now, the reality is that rock didn't have a pivot point. Aaron dislodged it and it fell on his hand. And it took a team of people with equipment and some engineering skill to remove the rock afterwards so that the trapped hand didn't become like a gruesome landmark for local hikers. Aaron would have died. He made the right choice. With that in mind, come back now to John's vision of Jesus in heaven, both lion and the lamb showing the marks of his crucifixion. Imagine that heavenly scene in all of its glory. God seated on his throne, Jesus taking the scroll. A new song breaks out in heaven. And imagine walking into that scene is a random guy. Let's call him Bruce from Kernelite Gardens. And he says, hang on, hang on. Music stops, everyone turns to Bruce. And Bruce says, great job, Jesus. Big sacrifice, impressive. But there's a much easier way for people to be right with God. You see, I'm not perfect, but I love my family, I work hard, I give a bit to the poor. I think if you asked, most people would say I'm one of the nice guys. Surely God and I are on good terms. It's pretty straightforward. This sacrificial death, it might be necessary for some, but not for me. What do you think God would say? Well, we don't have to guess because the Bible is completely clear that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross is the one and the only way God can reconcile himself with humanity. Jesus is unique. And his death shows us the grave consequences of our rebellion, taking the crown off God's head and putting it on our own, living without reference to him, or engaging with him on our terms. And at the same time, Jesus' death on the cross shows us something truly extraordinary about the depths of God's love for you 
and for me. That he would come to earth as a man named Jesus. To be the one person to live a life free of sin and rebellion. Who out of great love for you and for me and for our world takes the penalty of death that we deserve and bears it on his shoulders on the cross. That very first and that very good Friday. Bruce is mistaken in a very costly way and in a deeply offensive way to God the Son, Jesus, and the plan he made with God the Father. It is only those who take the crown off their own head and place it back on the risen Lord Jesus and live for him now that can be made right with God. Jesus provides the only way. And there's more here to see too. The scope of Jesus' plan is worldwide purchasing people for God from every tribe and nation. Which is why the risen Lord Jesus calls all who follow him to play their part in making disciples of all nations. From that very first day that you bend the knee to Jesus and give him back the crown through to eternity you join a worldwide family of members of the kingdom of God, verse 10, serving him all our days with great joy. One day knowing that we'll see by sight and know in all of its fullness what it's like to be a part of this all heaven and earth praise. So the question comes to us, how do we live today in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago. Well, I think we're to take our cue from heaven and see our hearts primarily move from seeing the world from a revelation kind of for creative lens to a revelation five salvation of the world lens as members of God's kingdom whose citizenship there has been bought for us by Jesus. As I unpack what I mean, if you're here checking out who Jesus is for the first time or church and Jesus for the first time in a while, I hope it's really helpful in making clear the implications of Easter, of Jesus' death on the cross for sins and rising again to new life to reign. So as we consider how to live today in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, I want to say that I think in all of us there's a gravitational pull to living in a way in our broken world that focuses on ourselves and in the here and now and primarily on creation. That's true for me. It's true for you. To live as a Christian primarily with a creation view of the world, not a salvation view. To thank God and be concerned about the here and now as we pray, for example. I'm sure many of you might put me in the shade on this, but you'll recognise that it's easy for our focus and therefore our prayers to focus all on the here and now, concerns about our finances, the kids, relational strains, work and health, and to bring primarily that to God in prayer and then throw in a side serving of prayer for God's kingdom, for the friend you'd love to come to see to know Jesus. You know, 80% focused on creation, Revelation 4, 20% focused on salvation. I just made those numbers up like most statistics, but <laughs> you get the point. 
Whereas if you look at something like the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray and therefore how to think about life, it's primarily focused on God's glory and his plan of salvation, the coming kingdom of God, and it acknowledges our daily needs, give us today our daily bread. I'll pop it up on uh, screen, if you can pop it up there, Jess. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Is that great? Pursuit of God's glory. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, which exists now and is coming in all of its fullness, we're praying for that. Give us today our daily bread. Sustain us in the task. We do live in a world with very practical needs. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It talks about the implications of salvation and living out a life that's motivated by grace, knowing God's grace shown to us to show it to others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's really a call from Christians to grow in Christ-likeness as we live for him now. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. God's glory in that kingdom focus is there again. Jesus is teaching us here to look at life through a kingdom of God, Revelation 5, unfolding plan of salvation lens and to call us to live accordingly. Heaven's focus has swung. A new song is being sung in heaven. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, our focus is to shift as well. If, you've, if this is your first time with us uh, today as a church, we are imperfect in many ways. If you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it, you'll ruin it. <laughs> but we long to be a people who are increasingly enamoured with the things of God, his great plan of salvation, his coming kingdom and seeing people come in. Now, of course, we live in creation today and it takes... I don't know about you, but it takes great energy to keep the show on the road sometimes. There's bills to pay, food to hunt down at Woolies and to get on the table for dinner. But instead of doing all of that and living the Christian life as another task to get done before we fall into bed each night exhausted, we're called actually to see life from a different point of view because of what happened that very first Easter, shifting the focus of heaven's praise as a new song was sung in heaven. Instead, we treasure those daily moments of connection with God through his word and being able to talk to God in prayer. We love listening to a good podcast in the car to deeply encourage us. If tonight is the night where our community group gathers, it's not yet another task to get done, but a gathering to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ who, like us, have been purchased for God by Jesus. And I'm not advocating that we start to kind of dislike the good things we have in this world. We've been richly blessed as we sit here in the room this morning, but rather shifting that focus and giving thanks to God for them in the context of knowing that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we're on our journey home. Instead of just simply living for the weekend... We're focused on living for Jesus and see it as an important and good gift from God to be able to stop and take a day of rest to enjoy the many good things God has given us. When we find ourselves in that spot where there's 
lamb on the Weber, a glass of wine in hand with good company. We rejoice in taking a moment to connect. Yet we see our relationships through a lens of those we know and love who are citizens of the kingdom of God and those whom we know and love who are not. Loving both with great heart, yet rejoicing in God's goodness together with the first and seeking to share Jesus with the latter. As times of great difficulty come, the times of mourning, the times of loss, the times when things break, we see them through the framework of eternity. We still suffer, but we do not suffer as those without hope. Being loved in a community of kingdom citizens, imperfectly to be sure, but as part of a local church family. And as we gather together in all the diversity and scope as we do on a Sunday, it's not just another event in the calendar. It's a gathering together of kingdom citizens, praising God in song, reading from his word, learning, praying, building each other up as we serve and stop for a chat for a coffee, as we welcome people in, wondering what we're doing here. We welcome them with great heart and with great love. As we then head back out into the week, to serve God each day because there's a new song in our hearts. A song of praise to Jesus for the salvation he brings as the one and only one who is worthy and sufficient for the task of executing God's great plan of salvation. So if you are here today checking out Jesus for the first time or as part of an Easter tradition and this song is a new one for you, We hope you can see clearly that following Jesus isn't something that you add into an already busy life. It calls for a change in the way that we see everything. Please take one of uh, Luke's accounts of Jesus' life there on the seats to be taken uh, and inside you'll see uh, a bookmark with the details of a series we called Life, which is an excellent way to consider all of this more deeply and we'd love you to join us. And for those who already follow Jesus, we are going to share bread and juice in a moment together as instructed by Jesus to proclaim the events of Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection until he comes again as an expression of a desire to refocus our lives, to see it through a salvation lens, a kingdom of God lens. So I'll pray and then we'll share together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Uh, for the immense uh, worthiness and sufficiency of Jesus to be the one who unfolds and unveils and executes your great plan of salvation for this world. We pray as a church family that our hearts might be increasingly enamoured by these things, that we might see all of life through a coming of the kingdom of God's salvation lens. And we praise you for the many good things that you've given us in this life along the way to sustain us and to refresh us and to bless us because you're a good God who loves to give good things. Might we turn all of it back to praise to you and to our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation he brings. Please help us to grow as a church, uh, as a people uh, increasingly looking at life uh, from this end. And we long uh, for Christians across our country and across our world this Easter Sunday uh, to be refreshed in these things as well. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.